Welcome to Good Nature, a show about good people dealing with unique challenges and adversity while still doing plenty of good along the way. If you don't know, my name's Tony, and I'm a digital media professional, and my unique challenge and adversity is a chronic muscle disease called LGMD2I, which I deal with every day. There's no treatment for my condition, but I've been fortunate enough to sample the promising but confusing world of stem cell therapy, which has helped me get a step or two back. Today, to help me try and demystify and talk about stem cell treatments, I'm joined by the Benton brothers, Ryan, a lifelong Duchenne muscular dystrophy patient and a musician, and his brother Blake, who holds it down at their family foundation called Coming Together for a Cure, a foundation that helps educate and find resources for families to access stem cell therapy. Here's my chat with the Benton bros. Blake, we connected, I guess, about three years ago. I came across Ryan's story and what you were doing with Come Together for a Cure and in the world of stem cells in general. And that was right before I actually had my first stem cell treatment for limb girdle muscular dystrophy. So I thought it would make sense to start. If you guys could both kind of talk us through your journey you know, Ryan, I know you were a bit younger, I think, when you had your first treatment, but what was the, I guess, the thought process and process in general like for you back then from, I think this is something I want to try to the actual trying of it? And Blake, what was kind of your role along the way for that journey? Yeah, I was around 22. And, um, you know, I'd just like anybody growing up with MD that is involved with the community. I I was around the age where I continued seeing all these people I grew up with uh, pass away from the disease and right. kind of a dire age where something needs to happen and uh, there's no treatment out there. And luckily, this family friend of ours, Neil Reardon, uh, at, is a research doctor and he came to us with this stem cell therapy as being a, an option and wanting to try it out and said that, you know, the worst that could happen is it just does nothing at all. Right. And so uh, we we talked uh, as a family about it and decided that that's something we'd want to try and we haven't looked back. And Blake, what was your role, I guess? Did you guys kind of tag team the research together? Because I know like I spent at least, it seemed like two years of just going through all the information I could find online, which sadly isn't that much. It's really hard. It, it was even harder, I'm sure, back then than it was for me. There was probably less credible research out there. Yeah, Blake, so what was your role in that initial like first treatment and you know deciding that this would be an ongoing thing? Like, What encouraged you about Ryan's results and kind of led to you starting come together for a cure? Well, I was I was pretty young when he first started his treatments. I was about 15, 16 years old. It was just incredible because, you know, we just knew Ryan was getting weaker and we're kind of just trying to remain optimistic. But we, when, when Dr. Reardon gave us the call, it was kind of like, holy crap, this is something we can actually believe in. Right. Uh, so I didn't really have much of a role at all at the very start. I just was a younger brother that was excited and trying to be as supportive as I could in any ways. But shortly after the first treatment, Ryan had the idea to start a fundraiser. And that fundraiser just was kind of a, a total family affair. Um, very just grassroots, um, probably 
two, 300 people. It's basically like what you'd imagine to be our, our, our sister's wedding list, guest list, you know, right. Yeah. And extended friends and, um, that just grew each year and Ryan kept as Ryan kept having treatments. And then when I was a sophomore in college, I, I went off to school knowing I wanted to get involved in helping more people like Ryan get access to stem cells. And as the fundraiser grew, it made sense to um, turn it into a official nonprofit and start doing a lot more um, kind of strategic work. So that's awesome. Outside of Ryan's treatments continuing, what's what are some of the biggest things you think you've been able to accomplish? One, I mean, literally starting a foundation like this, essentially as a like late teens, early twenties. I think that in and of itself is a pretty big accomplishment. But I've I've known you for a while, and I know you're you're always hustling, and you're always being really thoughtful with this. So, what are some of the biggest wins you think you've had so far? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't really try to think about that stuff very often. I just always think about moving forward. But um, I think the outreach of it all, it's it's how many people around the world. It's really cool to look at how many people around the world have heard about Ryan's story and connected with us. And then I get into very personal, intimate conversations oftentimes with, you know, families that uh, they could be in from a small town in Italy to a small town in Oregon. Um, and I'll get a random email at 3 a.m. or a phone call at 7 p.m. And a lot everybody has these same problems and with the disease either ryan's disease or some other kind of rare neuromuscular condition that they've that they think stem cells could help and they just explain that you know ryan's story was one of their first kind of glimpses of hope they're just ecstatic and very eager but kind of cautious to dip their toe in because they're wanting to learn anything possible. So as far as wins, it's just continually people reaching out and more and more lately, the fact that um, these, some of these families are able to actually find access to the resources that we're, we've been trying to bring to them. Yeah. Like just in this last year, a family that reached out to us less than two years ago, um, we met them in person as they were traveling across the country to go receive the stem cells that they gained confidence in and then learned more about after hearing Ryan's story and we helped connect them to the right resources to get the treatments. That that was a huge win and just really gives a lot of motivation that what we're doing is, is really worthwhile. I mean, I, I, I've always known it is, but it's it's just exciting when you actually can finally meet uh, a family and a child that because of us sharing Ryan's story and not just kind of, I don't know. I mean, it, it would have been very easy for Ryan just to keep getting these treatments and we not really do anything to help others. But exactly. We, we took the proactive approach because that just seemed like the natural right thing to do. Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely appreciate it, you know, selfishly as someone who has pursued these treatments and, like I said, just needed information. I think one of the major reasons 
I wanted to talk to you guys and do an episode specifically around obviously Ryan's story and your foundation and stem cells in general is there isn't, it's really hard to find anecdotal patient led information about stem cells on the internet as it is. Um, like I said, I researched this an exhausting amount. I talked to other patients and there, there's so much value to that. But even with all that said, there was a moment, I think when I was in the waiting room for my first treatment where all the doubt kind of just came back where you're just like, man, am I about to be fleeced out of all this money? And like you said, the worst case scenario is so far that we know it won't do anything. It won't help at all. But I remember sitting, you know, I did my treatment in just outside of Palm Springs in California. And I was sitting in the stem cell clinic with like older gentlemen that were talking about how, you know, they get the treatment so they can keep golfing every weekend and, and keep up with each other. And, you know, as I'm sure Ryan can kind of relate, you, you see stuff like that and you hear stuff like that. And when you're dealing with a very real condition, it's, it's very easy to let your, or I should say, it's not very easy to let your guard down and believe something's going to work. So I think maybe there's value in talking about, you know, on both the good and bad, bad side, what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions and, you know, maybe false hopes around stem cells that you've seen? I mean, aside from that, the old misconceptions of that, the aborted fetus and all that. Right. Yeah. I think that I think is like a thing in the past. Cause I, I think it's been proven for over 20 years now that that's not even a viable option. Even if, even if you were to those type of stem cells create tumors and they're not, it's not even an option, even morality aside. Yeah. But I think, I think one of the biggest misconceptions, at least with, uh, MD right now is right now. I mean, stem cell therapy is an ongoing treatment. It's not, it's not necessarily an end all cure. Yeah. However, uh, you know, there's lots of diseases that once diagnosed, you just treat it ongoing and it doesn't become something that the patient maybe even is aware that they have. So that's, that's where our hope has been. You know, I was 22 when I started being treated, which is so late in the disease. Yeah. I've had to play such catch up. And even in that, it, it hasn't been completely ongoing because I've had to travel to Panama, you know, to get treated. So it's, I can't ideally do that every three or four months. Yeah. So I, I'm constantly playing catch up. Whereas if we could get this legal in the U.S. and around the world and and uh, we can get patients to be able to be treated every three or four months. And the goal, you know, ideally, maybe the, those patients will never know what the digression of the disease entails because they're they're constantly receiving these treatments. A hundred percent. I guess in terms, you know, it's it's so valuable to have you guys speaking on this topic because, like I said, there's such a lack of patient feedback. These companies themselves, for better or worse, cannot market in any way uh, because of FDA regulations here, as I understand it. So it's really up to patient testimonials. 
what would you guys think is the most important thing to share about a condition like, you know, Duchenne muscular dystrophy? What information do you regularly share with parents of kids considering these, these options? Because like I said, there's nothing more valuable than saying, I did this treatment. These were the results. You know, I think that well, I always try to be upfront and say, this isn't a cure. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so you have to come into that with that kind of realistic expectations that yes, it may allow your son to walk a little bit longer and improve different uh, respiratory functions. And a lot of times we see boys that uh, maybe have had behavioral issues or, or some uh, kind of some sensory challenges and it helps alleviate a lot of that as well. Uh, but again, you have to remember that we're, st- we're still relative, we're still early on and the, the population of patients that like the, the amount of people that have received this type of treatment is still pretty small in the grand scheme of things. And so um, it's hard to, you know, give a definitive answer of, oh yeah, it'll help you walk 20% longer for another four months. Like we can't really break it down to certain metrics right now, but what we've seen from, you know, Ryan's 12 years of treatments and the five or six other boys that we know that have received this treat that uh, this type of stem cells is that it works and there's zero negative side effects. Everybody that's had a treatment has seen improvements in their ability to regenerate muscle in ways that otherwise they never could before. Um, and that in itself, the fact that we can reverse the progression of the disease, which means that boys are allowed to now break down and produce muscle. And then that allows them to maybe walk a little bit longer or have a little bit more trunk strength. So, so balance if they're, um, their their ability to stand up a little bit easier and just kind of from there just a variety of these small improvements that to anybody else just seem like it uh pretty minute but to somebody with one of these rare conditions um it it goes for miles to have the ability to to brush your teeth on your own yeah needing to lean over and use your sink as a crutch to prop your arm up you know it's uh like stuff like that that just giving people their independence back a lot of times is is so important and so it's such a underappreciated aspect that these treatments can bring and so really like what what we kind of it's much easier to explain improvements to a family that actually needs the treatments Versus somebody that they've never experienced any sort of kind of dire medical struggle for themselves or with a loved one. And I don't know, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I know for myself, you know, having a disease that affects strength and stability, I think we've talked about this before, where there's not a real placebo effect for feeling improvements with those things. Um, You're either able to do things on your own that you previously couldn't, or you can't. In my case, I know is when I had 
my first stem cell treatment, which was, uh, I believe I'll probably pronounce this wrong, but it's adipose cells, yeah. um, which was like body fat that they treat and essentially put back into you and targeting weaker damaged muscle areas. Mm-hmm. I'd say about 90 days afterwards, like I found myself, there's a day where my wife and I just like walked around to city park with some people that we'd met. And it was in the moment, one of those things where I was just like, I can't believe I'm, I'm doing this relatively easily. It had been, you know, at least a year since I, I had that peace of mind. And it's not something, it's not a result you can imagine. Like I said, it, it's really difficult to credit that to any kind of placebo effect. So I guess switching gears a little bit, Ryan, you know, I was a musician myself. I fault myself for this, but I haven't picked up a guitar in a few years. It's something I'd certainly like to change. I'm a little more stubborn because I didn't feel any of the effects of the form of MD that I have. There was little things here and there I dealt with, but I spent my late teens, early 20s touring all over, you know, loading amps every day, jumping around on stage and stuff. So I think there's a little part of me that is stubborn and is like, well, if I can't do it exactly how I want to, I'm not going to do it. But you, Ryan, you've been an active musician for a very long time. So I guess kind of tell us about your project or projects and were you actively out playing live shows and everything? What's kind of been your music journey? Yeah, I, I, we started playing, uh, one of my first bands, I was like 16, 17 and just the, the progression of that and playing locally and playing a little bit more, uh, outside of the state, just little mini weekend tours and such and, um, stopped kind of playing live, like probably seven or eight years ago. And then it's been mostly a recording project since. But I mean, I've definitely uh, had those stubborn moments where uh, the disease is caused, it's called adaptations I need to make, where no longer am I able to like physically play the keyboard or physically sing the songs that are right. But um, I've learned getting down about that or... Uh, giving up on that it just i get even more down so i've i've had to like figure different ways to adapt like i'll either write the song out like a program like a software program and then have somebody else either play it again or just leave the programmed keyboard or or drums there and then uh i'll hum the melody for somebody else to sing and just figuring different ways to to adapt to it and actually these last few years of doing that it's been almost even more rewarding seeing some of my vision reflected through friends of mine that are musicians that are willing to lend their voice or their you know instrumental talents of toward this project which has been just amazing i i think we're about the same age so i definitely hit a point where writing and recording and studio stuff became way more enjoyable than playing live anyway yeah so it was our thing too 
Yeah. And I think from, you know, talking to people that are still very much active musicians, I think that happens with age, regardless of, you know, chronic conditions or not. So we don't have to feel totally isolated. I think it's a very normal musician mentality to eventually just be like, you know what? I like being at home and I like uh, being creative instead of, you know, going out there and, and performing every day. Yeah. Um, when you have six or seven, we had six or seven people uh, live. And so when you hit your 30s, trying to <laughs> seven people that show up at practice, show up at shows, like it becomes insane. Talk about influences. What kind of influences go into the music you're making and how would you kind of describe it to people? It varies. And, and I, uh, it started out, you know, really heavy 60s, 70s, classic rock or pop. I, for whatever reason, I just never heard like old music growing up. And when I hit college, just got like blown away by uh, all those old bands, like the Beatles, Stones, Zeppelin, Mm -hmm. uh, Pink Floyd, all those. I didn't grow up ever hearing that. So right when I heard it, when I hit college, it just, that's all we wanted to sound like. And now it's kind of morphed into what it's become. And, but uh, overall, just trying to make good music. Really, I mean, uh, Ryan was, Ryan was stuck. The best music options we had at the house was the best of the Eagles. Yeah, which I appreciate now. But, <laughs> and, but at the, until just sweet. recently, you hated it. Cause, yeah, that's um, basically all that was played over and over. <laughs> The Eagles rip, though. I think that you could have done worse, I think. I, know, I, I appreciate it now the last couple of years, but that's literally all I grew up with. Mom's Celine Dion. Yeah, Celine Dion. <laughs> but, well, I would say, and I definitely want you to shout out places where, where people can can check out your stuff, but my impression was it reminded me of a group called Wilco. I don't know if you're oh, super yeah. familiar with them, but that, in my opinion, is definitely a compliment. Oh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. That's, I just appreciate any band like Wilco that can take those leaps album to album, which that's the biggest thing we try to do. Like, I'd say the biggest thing we do is make mostly uh, focus on making albums. Like, you know, we are a band. It's like a kind of a production unit, but really the focus each time is like on the album and it can sound completely different from album to album, but the focus each time is the specific album. So I guess next question would be for Blake and Ryan as well. Obviously it affects you very directly, but what do you guys hope and what do you guys think the next five years look like for stem cells in the United States? Those are two very different questions. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think that we are at a point where, a lot of the hard work that people like Dr. Reardon and those that have really been the pioneers in this space, it's starting to, to um, come to fruition. So not only from a research standpoint, but also from a public perception, like we used to, one way to kind of uh, easily describe a, a switch is when Ryan first started getting his treatments, we always had to specify their adult stem cell treatment. Then we'd kind of have to explain the difference between embryonic and non-embryonic and how 
where the stem cells come from and why this is something that's completely ethical and legal. And, and that was great because, you know, being able to educate people is so important. Once you're informed and you trust what we're doing, I mean, it makes it much easier to, to be fully bought in. But um, in the last, I'd say probably, I don't know, almost five years, we've kind of realized that we just, we don't even need to have to specify that it's adult stem cells. We can just say Ryan's getting stem cell treatments because people, it's so much more often now that people are like, well, yeah, I didn't think you're, you're, yeah. you're a fan of aborting babies, you know? And it's like, of, of course you're, we assumed you're doing this ethically. Yeah. Um, unless you're talking to the 70 or 80 year old. Yeah. Unless you're talking to someone yeah. very out of right. touch. But for the most part, you know, the average American or, you know, definitely millennials and, you know, basically anybody under the age of, I don't know, 75, unless you're, they're a super devout Catholic, um, which you, we don't need to go into that. But the public perception has definitely became, been, been embracing this far more. And that allows so many other things to, um, to evolve and compound, like, so... I hope that what Ryan's receiving right now becomes mainstream within three to five years. Now, realistically, there is a path to allow that to happen. If, if clinical trials are um, able to be set up and reach, uh, reach completion and fruition in the proper time frame. And, you know, the funding is there and the right medical institutions are getting behind this and the legislative uh, bodies and the FDA that they're embracing this and becoming completely um, supportive. There's no reason that this shouldn't be able to become a a, a standard of care, as I would call it, um, for people with muscular dystrophy and the other diseases that follow that MS and autism and cerebral palsy. Um, and then, you know, aside from, you know, a long list of other auto, uh, autoimmune conditions and whatnot, that this treatment can become more readily available for people with, um, for, for, for more uh, like spinal cord injury and more serious setbacks like that. But it's just, it takes a collective effort from those kind of key institutions that we need to ensure that people are, um, that will embrace this. And so it's, we've been on the fringe for a long time. It's kind of one way that I've looked at it. And when I talk to people and they're like, wow, you're really doing something that's, you know, kind of cutting edge or, you know, Ryan's such a pioneer. And I don't, it's so weird to think of it that way because it just fell in our lap. And it's like, well, of course we're going to be all in once we understand. Yeah, we just want the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you win the lottery, you don't just want to share it for yourself. You want other people to be able to enjoy the fruits that you were so fortunate to, to, to fall into your lap. And, you know, I think that Ryan is just a testament to, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to put it really, but there's a reason why our family has been so fortunate and why he and I are brothers and why 
we had this unique opportunity and we're, we're going to make the most of it because I mean, not to sound like a jerk, but I don't want Ryan to be the only one that gets this treatment. I mean, it's like, it, sorry, Ryan, but no, I mean, there's a thousand other, there's, there's so many more people that need this. And that's, you know, it's, I'm, we're thrilled that Ryan gets to have this access, but we want this for so many more people. Yeah, I don't think you sound like a jerk at all. I think uh, <laughs> quite the opposite, actually. Um, and I'm right there with you for sure. I think that's a really good point about like looking at kind of the little wins of the big picture where, yeah, I mean, even compared to five years ago when I first started researching this, there is a little less of that confusion and silly response around stem cells. And that can only mean good things for sure. I guess uh, to wrap things up, um, Blake, if you can share with everyone where they can check out Come Together for a Cure and what you're doing, and then Ryan, uh, just let people know where they can find some music. Well, so um, right now we are extremely excited about some clinical trials that are in the works that um, our doctor has been, that we've been working with Dr. Reardon on for a number of years to try to start. And um, so... There'll be plenty more news to share in the coming future. Um, but the best way to stay engaged and to learn about Ryan's story and to connect with us to see if we can help you or your loved one is to go to is to find us on Facebook or to go to our website. And the organization is called Coming Together for a Cure. And the acronym is CTFAC. And that's so it's CTFAC.net and Basically, Ryan or I will, we'd love to, we'd love meet new people that um, are excited to embrace this and um, really try to change their life for the better. And it's definitely changed ours. Tell them about your music, man. Uh, and then our band, The Sunshine Dreamers, it's available on all the audio platforms and uh, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. And then we've also got a uh, couple compilations that we've been featured on, that all the money raised by those goes back to uh, stem cell therapy and research. Those are called Coming Together for a Cure Volume 1 and 2. And it, and it sounds like you may be able to uh, found as a related artist to Wilco <laughs> on Spotify. Hopefully, yeah, let's, let's crank that algorithm and get that going. Well, all right, guys, this has been awesome. And, you know, I, like I said, a big... Part of why I wanted to do this was obviously to share your story and what you guys have been able to accomplish so far. But also there needs to be more information like this on the Internet where patients can share you know, pretty undoctored and unscripted uh, feedback on what is possible from treatments like this. So I appreciate your guys' time and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you, Tony. Thanks a lot, Tony. Have a good one. So thanks again to Ryan and Blake for joining. Uh, you can check out more info on Coming Together for a Cure with a link in the description of this episode, as well as a link to Ryan's latest album, Home Alone, on Bandcamp, which I cannot stress this enough, absolutely cooks. If you dug this episode, feel free to subscribe, like, and come back for another. Until then, stay good. <laughs>